Well, good morning, Wallace. Uh, my name is Chris Garriott. I'm the campus minister with Reformed University Fellowship at the University of Maryland across the street. And uh, it's my privilege and honor to be able to bring the Lord's Word this morning. I've had a busy week. We had the RUF um, staff training. So this is the national staff training where I guess about 160 campus ministers, about 40 campus staff gather. And so we were out in Denver, Colorado um, this week for uh, seminars and for training time and for worship and for prayer groups. And it's just a wonderful time to uh, see old friends and, and be encouraged uh, in the Word. So, and, and by God's providence, my area coordinator, when he was given the Devo uh, this week, gave it on this very passage. So there's at least one point in here that's from Derek Bates at the University of Pittsburgh. Thank you, Derek. So uh, before we get, read the word, let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can worship you in spirit and truth this morning, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to be here. Uh, as we read this word, as we uh, think about this passage, God, that you would uh, bless us with your presence, convict us of your truth and grace, lift up Jesus in our midst, and we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Hear God's word from Luke chapter 2. We've already read this, actually, uh, in part of the um, Advent readings. Hear God's word. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them.
But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and, it, and as it had been told to them. This ends the reading of God's holy word. So the last few weeks, we've been looking at these different songs, the song of Mary a couple weeks ago, and then the song of Zechariah uh, last week. And today, it's the song of the shepherd. And one of the cool things about this is there's, it's, a, it's a solo shepherd or angel that comes, and then it's a host of angels as a chorus uh, singing out the praises of God. I've recently uh, been watching the uh, Beatles documentary. I don't know if there's any Beatles fans in here uh, by any chance, but uh, this was produced by uh, Peter Jackson, directed by Peter Jackson, the same one who did The Lord of the Rings. And uh, they were able, he was able to get footage, some 160 hours of video footage of the Beatles. You know, so John, Paul, George, and Ringo are all there in living color, in high definition. And uh, basically what happened, this is I think 1970, January of 1970. They had come together, uh, and I think it had been over two years since they had put out a record. And uh, the, the, their, their producer had an idea, let's do a documentary, a record, and a concert. And, uh, and so what they did was they basically just filmed the Beatles in the studio there as they were thinking about songs and trying to figure out uh, new songs. And basically they'd come back, you know, from the evening and here, I got an idea, let's play this. And, and uh, some significant songs came out of this album, Let It Be. That was kind of Mary's song, right? And, uh, and so it's just kind of a really interesting thing. Um, what, what was clear is that the Beatles are incredibly creative. Uh, also, they, there's a lot of joking around there. But there's also strife. And you can see that there's strife, especially between Paul McCartney and George Harrison at one point. George totally leaves and says, I'm done. Uh, and he goes away for a few days for a weekend, and they didn't know if he was going to come back. And they were thinking, well, let's get Eric Clapton to come and play. But uh, George does finally come back. But it's very clear, too, that this is going to be it for the Beatles. There's too much tension. They, they want to go their own ways. And so uh, the, the project ends on the rooftop of the Abbey Road studio as they play some of the songs from that album. But this morning, we're looking at another song, and it's a song written for joy. The Beatles, they ended, right? Some of you are like, I don't even like the Beatles. <laughs> but the point is, is that uh, the songs of men ultimately will end. But the song of God goes on together. Unlike the Beatles, there was not disunity. There, there was not a uh, division or strife. The song of the gospel is a song that unifies, and it's a song of good news and great joy for all people in all times. And so, as we look at this passage today, I, I just want to mention these things. It's a song for everyone. It's a song for sinners and the broken. And it's a song to be repeated. 
And so as you look at your passage here, the first song, the thing that we think about this song is kind of the first part of the passage. It's a song for everyone. Why? Because in this passage, we see Jesus humbling himself. The first announcement of the gospel goes to the lowest class of people. But we see that Jesus in this, in this section is uh, relating to us in a humble fashion in multiple places in this text. He's born in obscurity. You know, the birth of the Lord Jesus is something that overthrows the, the, the power dynamics of our culture and, and the religious culture. You would think, if you were writing this story, that the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, the Anointed One, He would certainly come to those in power, in the palace, to Herod, or to the religious elite. But instead, our Lord comes to a blue-collar family from a scorned area, Nazareth. You remember in John 1, nothing good comes from Nazareth, is what Nathaniel said, to a carpenter, blue-collar worker. And he's not born in the halls of power, but in this lowly barnyard stable in an obscure town in Judea and laid in a feeding trough for animals. Joseph and Mary can't even get a room in the inn. They have no connections. Everything is booked up, and they're left homeless this night. And so what we see is Jesus in humility comes to us. He even comes to us uh, in a place where he puts himself under government authorities, right? Jesus was subjected to government authorities. Why, why did they go to Bethlehem? Taxes. Okay, it says in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That meant they were going to be taxed. And so what brought Jesus to Bethlehem to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy about his birth? Taxes in God's providence. So do you see the humility of God, the humility of Jesus, the Lord of glory, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who created the entire universe, who has all the resources of the entire universe, who owns all the governments of the world, put himself in a place in a family that had to be taxed. This should help us as we think about going to the MVA or doing all the typical things that we do that Jesus relates to us uh, in this world, that he humbled himself. Uh, and so, just from a standpoint of humility, we also see this idea of the news comes to the shepherds. The first announcement, really to the lowest class of people. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Who, who were these shepherds? Well, Leon Moore says that they were a despised class. The nature of their calling 
as shepherds really kept them from observing ceremonial law. They were also, they also had the reputation of being thieves as they moved about the country. They were considered unreliable and were not allowed to give evidence in courts of law. And so the Lord God is giving this message to this class of people who were far off, ceremonially unclean. And what it tells us is that God's grace goes to the outsiders. That this theme is constantly seen in the Bible, isn't it? God comes to Abram when he is in Ur of the Chaldees. He's a moon worshiper. He doesn't know anything about Yahweh, the God of Israel. He becomes that first person that God brings his salvation through and through him to the world. All through the Old Testament, we see passages where God comes to the lowly. Even David, right? David was out tending the sheep. And uh, when, you know, um, when he was anointed, it wasn't because he was the greatest or the oldest or the biggest or the best. He was the lowliest, but God placed his grace upon him. And Samuel anointed him. We see this in the work of Jesus as he grows, right? His ministry often goes to the outsiders, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Samaritan woman, those who are seemingly far away. And it's actually the religious and the Pharisees that miss it. And so this should give us hope because God comes to those without hope. He comes to those who aren't even in the know, to the lowly. It reminds us that we are all sinners. We're all outcasts when it comes to knowing God. But God, in his grace, brings this message to the outcasts and to the sinners, to the despised. And so this is the humility of Jesus. He humbles himself. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, larger catechism, question 46, it says... What was the estate of Christ's humiliation? And the answer is, the estate of Christ's humiliation was that low condition wherein he, for our sakes, emptying himself of his glory, took upon him the form of a servant in his conception and birth and life and death and after his death until his resurrection. And he did this so we could relate to him. He as the mediator, he the one who became flesh and was like us, who suffered everything we go through yet without sin, so that we would know God. Philippians 2 says it. Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. No other world religion has this that the God of glory would become flesh to relate to us. So if you're, you, for you and I, <laughs> this, this song is a, a song of humility. It comes to us in our humility, not righteous in and of ourselves. Jesus became poor so that he, he would relate to our poverty. He would relate to our needs. He would relate to our brokenness 
and our suffering. It's for the spiritually hungry. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so that's the first thing we see. It's a song for everyone, and it's especially a song for the lowly. And secondly, it's a song for sinners. So the first thing we have in the story is that this one angel appears to the shepherds, the lead, the lead singer, we might say. And then we have the chorus, and we have the host of the angels singing. And it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear, in verse 9. Why fear? Why are they fe- filled with fear? Well, it's because of the glory of the Lord and the holiness of God. The angels had been in the presence of the holy, as we've read previously in Isaiah 6. Whenever angels show up in the Old Testament, the people are terrified, right? Because they have been standing in the presence of God. We remember the glory of God shown at Mount Sinai and the cloud descending uh, with Moses. And remember he said, the people cannot come near the mountain. They cannot touch this mountain or, or they will be destroyed. Why? Because God's presence was there in all of his glory and holiness. No one could approach that mountain. Because God is holy, men and women cannot enter in to connect with him on their own. God is separate. He is other. So these angels are reflecting that glory of being in the presence of God. And the shepherds are in fear. Fear for their life. But the next thing you see there, ultimately, is God's grace. As soon as they are afraid, and the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so fear of judgment, fear of God's holiness, immediately met with the gospel of grace. Fear not. This is the good news. This is the great joy. This is the glad tidings of the gospel that a Savior has come. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news, the great joy for all the people is that we will be able to stand in the presence of a holy God, but not through, through us, through this one who has been born, this Savior. Savior means deliverer. The one they've long waited for in Israel to rescue God's people. Later in the chapter, Mary and Joseph will name him Jesus, meaning Yahweh saves As the angel Gabriel told her, the Hebrew of this name is Joshua, right? The one who saves. Jesus is the one who will deliver, who will save his people from sin. Jesus is the one, like Joshua, who will ultimately lead his people into the promised land. Christ the Lord. What is that? That's the anointed or the Messiah. And so you have the anointed and the exalted Lord Yahweh is here, the one they have been longing for through the ages, all the way since Genesis 3.15, if you remember that promise to Adam and Eve right in the beginning when they sinned, God said that uh, the seed of the woman 
will crush the head of the serpent. That was the gospel to Adam and Eve when they sinned. And, and, and all of the Old Testament really is tracing that line of where is the seed? Where is the seed of, of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent? And now he's here. Christ the Lord is here. The Savior is here. And so this is the beauty, the grace of God to sinners, that he will bring peace. It says, uh, verse 14, glory to God in the highest. This is the chorus that the angels are singing. And on earth, peace among those whom he has pleased. What is this peace? Is it just, you know, like the old eagle song, a peaceful, easy feeling? Is it just kind of warm thoughts at the end of a day when you see the sunset? Or just, you know, peaceful relationships in the household or with roommates? Is that the peace here? No. The peace here is the war is over. The war between God and sinful people is over because Jesus, the Savior, Christ the Lord, is ultimately going to deal with this at the cross. How do we, how does the war end? It ends with Jesus taking the judgment and all the justice of God, God's wrath for sinners. And so Jesus takes upon himself all of our sin and God pours out all of his wrath upon him so that we become his favored ones and are righteous in his sight by faith. And so this is what the peace among those whom he is pleased means. That there is a way to get back to God. There, there is a, a way to have unity with your creator. Although you are a sinner, Christ has taken your sin. So this means that if you want to be right with God, if you want to experience these glad tidings, if you want to praise God, you have to recognize that you're a sinner. R.C. Sproul called sin cosmic treason. Basically, we are shaking our fist at the God who made us, created us, and, get, and has given us everything in our life. And this is the situation that all of us are in. As sinners, we've chosen to reject God and basically want to be God ourselves. We've exchanged the worship of the creator for the worship of the creation and serve the creation. We worship money, sex, power, peace, entertainment. Francis Schaeffer said, uh, personal peace and affluence was the greatest sin of the church. And that was back in the 70s. I, probably still that way because our hearts want that. But ultimately it means we're under his wrath. So you have to acknowledge that, and that's really a good place to be, to know that you're a sinner. Because then you will see that Jesus and his, what he did on the cross makes sense. And so he brings peace through his death on the cross, and his resurrection justifies us. And so in Romans 5.1, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation for those 
in Christ Jesus. So the favor of God rests on all those who believe, all those who place their faith in this Christ child who died and rose. And so the shepherds understand the message and they, they believe it to the point where they follow what the angels tell them to do, to go and to find this sign of this baby in a manger, this strange thing of a child in a cattle trough, a feeding trough. And so they go, they make haste, they quickly go and they leave to see this thing that the angel has told him. And then they, they see, and it says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What do they do? This is the last thing. They repeat the song to others. There's, an, it, there's, there's evangelism and worship together in this passage. It says that they made known the message about the child. Sounds a lot like evangelism, doesn't it? They're telling the people what they just saw and what they heard from the angel of the Lord. That this child will bring peace among those whom God is pleased and that he is the Savior and the Lord. And Mary's encouraged and pondering and wondering about these things in her own heart as she cradles the Lord Jesus. So what song are you singing this morning? The shepherds are singing a song of joy. They're singing a song of worship and praising and glorifying God for what they heard and what they saw. They were not forced or manipulated. They were, they were curious and desiring to see this thing. They had been changed by Jesus. They were filled with praise and worship. They were filled with a desire to tell others what they saw and heard. Leon Morris says that it's very possible that these shepherds were, were uh, you know, taking care of the sheep that would be used in the temple sacrifice. So can you imagine their lives as they're tending these sheep and they're putting things together with Old Testament prophecy that the Lamb of God is going to take away the sins of the world? Now this is 30 years before Jesus' um, uh, public ministry. But it's, you know, we can just ponder. I wonder, I wonder how their lives were changed. I wonder if as they sold their sheep, you know, they told them about the baby. Told them about there's one who has come. We, we are declaring the good tidings, the good news. Here's a sheep for your sins. But it's pointing to the ultimate sheep, that the Lamb of God, who's going to take away the sins of the world. They were certainly changed here. And the truth of God is bubbling out in joy. They couldn't contain it. The message of God, the salvation of God has reached down to the most unlikely folk. And they are the ones telling others about it. They made known the saying that had been told concerning the child. 
So again, who is, who is telling this message? Is it the religious elite? Is it, you know, the priests? No, it's simple shepherds with the message. The, those untrained in the religious circles. Later, it will be untrained fishermen who God will use to bring the message of the gospel to the world. Normal folks like you and I. And so how can we begin to sing the song and repeat it? I think first it just means allowing the grace of Jesus to be poured into you every day. Knowing that he loves you. He loves the broken. He loves sinners and died for sinners. Feeding on Christ, doing what we're doing here today, worshiping, taking the Lord's Supper, being together in small groups, encouraging each other with the word, praying for each other, filling yourself up with the fact that you are loved, you're adopted, not because of yourself, not because of anything you do, because of what Jesus has done for you. And you just receive it, just like the shepherds receive the message. But this, this changes you. This does something to you. This, this makes you want to share that. And that's what we see here. And, and so I would say the second thing is just begin to try to love those around you. God's put in your midst. So for students, who's your roommate? <laughs> Pray for them. You know, serve them. Talk with them. You know, and, and pray and see, and see where those relationships and those conversations go. I bet you they're going to ask you, why, why are you going to church? <laughs> why, are you, why are you getting up on a Sunday morning? That's it's kind of strange. Just the natural way of, of having conversations with people and, tell, and not being afraid to like share, hey, yeah, I go to Wallace. Maybe it's, maybe it's inviting a neighbor to tonight's uh, children's program or some of the programs that are coming up or Christmas Eve service. Praying for them, trying to serve them, and being interested in them. I heard a quote from one of the campus ministers uh, from Tim Keller, and I'm not sure where this is. If you find it, I would love to know where that is. But he, is, he says this. He, he, I think he's talking about New York City. But he's saying, in our current culture, for an unbeliever to come to faith, it's taking on average about four years and 15 significant relationships with Christians. Four years, but 15 significant relationships with Christians. What is that saying? It's saying that the outside world is very skeptical of the church, very skeptical of maybe what they perceive or the stereotypes of the church, the failures of the church, and what they need to see is real Christians who actually love and talk to them and change their perception so that they begin to like see, oh, this, you have something different. You, you love God. What, who is God? And, and, through, and through time and through consistency and relationship, they come to know Jesus. That's what he is saying. And I, and I would agree that that's, that's true in many cases. Now, we don't know. Some people are maybe farther along. They're going to become Christians when you first talk to them, because maybe they've, they've had all of that work before done. But it means that all of us are called to share this message and begin to, to uh, and, and I'm talking to myself as well, to repent of our unbelief in that area, to repent of our fear 
and to begin to soak in the gospel and, and uh, take those risks to share this beautiful message. It's a message that cannot be contained. It's a message that comes to unusual people, unusual places. It's a message for sinners. It's a message to be shared. And I want to end with just one last story. This is an RUF story that happened uh, back in September. So I think the second week we had our large group meeting, which is supper club, which is usually dinner. It's like a meal. Uh, it's music and a message. Uh, we usually do that inside, but we had a COVID case uh, in our close ranks. And so we were like, man, we all, all got to get tested. Uh, Lisa's staff does, and let's do this outside. Okay, so uh, we decided we're going to have large group on the McKeldin Mall. If you're familiar with the campus, that's a big green space in between the administration building and the library. It was a beautiful night. It wasn't that humid. It was like 75 degrees. This is in September, which is kind of crazy. And uh, so we're setting our, our tent up, and we're just going to have, like, open-air guitar, and students are starting to gather. Some of them are bringing their meals uh, with them, and they're just eating on the hillside. It's just really beautiful out there, and uh, the sun is shining. And uh, one, of the one of the students uh, uh, has a cat, and uh, he brings the cat in a cat bag, uh, and it literally has a plastic uh, like screen on the back and the, you can see the cat inside there. It's like a special cat carrying case. And uh, this student uh, is a student that has come to faith and he's been baptized in one of the Chinese fellowships. And uh, he brings the cat to large group and sets the cat down, opens the bag in, in the middle of the crowd of RUF kids that are sitting there. Well, this cat is scared to death. This cat immediately makes a beeline for one of the big trees on the sidewalk by McKellen Mall and just scratches his way up about 15 feet in this tree and just sits there meowing, scared to death. So this has created quite a stir. And there's people all around the sidewalk. They're watching. Literally, there's 20 to 30 people on the sidewalk watching this cat for about 20 minutes. And we're like, well... We can't get him down. We don't have a ladder. Uh, the UMD police, somehow they come by, and uh, they're just standing there and looking up. They're not going to help us get the cat down. Uh, Valerie Mech calls the maintenance. Uh, they're not going to come. So we've got a cat in a tree. We've got this whole crowd, and then we've got our people. So we just said, let's just go on with our, me <laughs> our meeting. So we went ahead, did our music, did, you know, uh, all of, the, all of the different aspects, you know, announcements, and, and I preached. And uh, what we noticed was a lot of these people were still there. Uh, and they were, they were watching the cat, and they were listening in. And after the meeting was over, like, some of our folks were talking to those people. And, uh, and so, uh, so what happened next? Well, it's, it's getting dark. What are we going to do? Well, there's a guy right here, Daniel Hancock who got on the shoulders of Josh Shaner, our intern, and uh, somehow was able to shimmy his way up this tree about 15 feet, get the bag, get the cat, and put him in the bag. Everybody cheered, and it was crazy. Okay, so what's that have to do with evangelism? Well, there was a girl that had never been in our ministry, never had been anywhere uh, around us. We didn't know her, but because of that cat, she was watching the whole thing, 
And then like about a week later, I found out from Amanda that this girl, her name's Unite, she's been coming to a small group and also to supper club the whole entire semester. And so, folks, if God can use a cat, he can certainly use you and I to proclaim this beautiful message of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your blessings. Thank you that, Jesus, you bring your gospel to the low, to the outcasts, to those that are unexpected, to the most unusual places which we just can't fathom. And, and it tells us that you are spreading your gospel to all kinds of people. Lord, would you inflame our hearts with that gospel message that we would know Christ, that we would know that we are loved and that we would share that message with others, that you would humble us to know your grace and mercy in a new way, even this Christmas season as we anticipate the Advent and we look forward to your ultimate coming. Father, would you empower your church? Would you empower Wallace and encourage her as she uh, ministers to the community? Lord, would you encourage us uh, to love and know and serve one another for your glory? In Christ's name we pray, amen.